Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You're listening to This Little Light, a podcast about falling in love with music, hosted by me, Flea, and produced by Cadence 13 and Parallel. Today's guest is the rapper Earl Sweatshirt. I'm like really self-conscious about uh, not losing the, the spirit of something, so I really try hard not to like overcook a lot of shit. You can feel it intuitively every time It is such a palpable difference in feeling. I find Earl Sweatshirt to be a fascinating young man. You know, I first heard of him when when Odd Future started blowing up, and that's like 15 years ago now. It was like 2000, early 2000s, something. You know, I thought in those early Odd Future records, he was the one that I was drawn to the most. And then he became this really enigmatic, mysterious figure, like he disappeared. His parents, I think his father is a poet laureate. Um, and his parents were like, no, you're getting in trouble. You're getting in trouble here with this uh, youth culture scene you're involved in with Odd Future. We're sending you off to boarding school somewhere. And the guy just disappeared. So this, the band blows up, and he disappears off to the other side of the world. He put out his debut mixtape, Earl, when he was 16 years old. He's put out four albums since. He's worked with Frank Ocean, Mac Miller. Vince Staples, and I love his work with Vince Staples, man. I love that. Like the way that those two bounce off each other when they rap is uh, really does something good to my heart. This um, conversation is the first time I've ever spoken with Earl at any length beyond pleasantries. We speak about beautiful things and, and things that resonate with me personally. Music as feeling as opposed to uh, structure and rules. And he comes at music from a place really from his heart. And he's been lucky to work with people, you know, like in his work with Odd Future, his relationship to hip hop has not been as like something as a means to an end to make money or something as where you do this because this formula works and you can make a hit. No, it's like this is an experimental form of music where I can channel the highest parts of myself and try to make something beautiful that I care about that resonates with the true rhythm of who I am as a human being. I've seen Earl perform a few times, and it's amazing how he is able to flow in the most liquid way without a straight beat. You know, I saw him play with, uh, with uh, J.D. Beck and Domi as his band, and they're just playing jazz, man. And he is flowing and laying it down. And we speak about, you know, his inspiration from Jay Dilla, and, you know, Dilla is a producer and a rapper who really moved the rhythm around and didn't put things right straight in a row, like his, everything lined up on a grid, such as is very popular in most hip-hop. He, he moved things around and created this feeling, this kind of disjointed rhythmic feeling that by nature of its disjointedness really uh, becomes this hypnotic and human-sounding thing. And you feel the flaws and you feel the imperfection. And... um as a result, you feel you know the beauty of being a human being. We also spoke about the humor in music and how, yes, serious things and melancholy and dealing with pain and challenges that exist in the world are of great importance, but of no more importance than humor. Laugh it up, folks. And that's something that I've always believed into. You know, humor is as important as drama or social justice or anything so i it was really great to resonate about that with him and uh awesome to have him on the show earl sweatshirt 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm dyeing my hair right now, so I got the Jiffy Pop on there. Let's go. Yeah. What color? It's um, a variety. It's like lime green and pink and blue. And it's like a psychedelic leopard. Okay. I had it, and then it faded out, and I'm leaving on tour tomorrow morning, so I went for a re-up. All right, let's go. Where's the... Yeah, I heard you were on tour. Where's your first start? We did. We start... Like, we've been going already. Mm-hmm. We were in Europe. It was cool. We had Anderson Pack with us. We had ASAP Rocky with us. Thundercat's been doing the whole thing, and it's been cool. Like, <clears throat> never done a big stadium tour like this. Like, we've done a massive arena tours but never these big stadiums. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like an event, <laughs> you know? Like every gig is mm-hmm. such an event. It's crazy. Yeah. What's the difference between those and like the arena one? Totally different. It's like it's more wide open, cause, I guess, because, you know, because they're outside and stuff. Uh-huh. And it's sort of that feeling of like, I don't know, maybe it's just like a, a per interior thing for me, but I feel like outdoors, all those people, like, I feel like, like my only job is to get out of the way and like, let the rhythm come through me. And I've been kind of getting in a real good space with that. Mm. Been feeling nice. Yeah. So Earl, thank you so much for taking the time to be here um, with me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm honored. Needless to say, I'm a big fan and have been for a long time. I think the First thing I heard of yours was a, a track you did with Vince Staples. It was like before the, I heard, I knew about the Odd Future records. You and Vince Staples did a track, like really interesting music and incredible, incredible emceeing. Thank you, man. Yeah. You know, this podcast is about music education. And, you know, I have this music school called the Silver Lake Conservatory Music. We've been going for about 20 years. And what's really fascinating to me is how. Every different musician has a completely different process of how they became a musician, how they developed their craft as a musician, how they continue to develop their craft as a musician. So I wanted to, to ask you, what were your first, like as a kid, your first times that you were conscious of music and what it did to you, how it affected you, what it made you feel and, you know, what it ignited in you and like, your first times that you can remember having those feelings consciously or unconsciously, you know. Well, it's some of my first, it's attached to like my first memories for sure. Because when my family still lived in Chicago, I remember this like black and red Persian rug that was in the apartment. And I remember how the apartment would be lit and there was like wood floors and kind of how it would like smell. And then just like a lot of jazz was always playing and like African music. And so with jazz, I remember just like horns. And then also with a lot of the African music that was playing, it was like horns. And so those always, I don't know, those like nestled in there pretty deep and then and with a certain feeling kind of that horns brings kind of like boisterousness or it sounds like uh like the sun or something you know what i mean yeah and then the other main thing i guess came from out of african music and uh like gospel of like my first experiences with uh trying to harmonize mm. And I think that's a really unique thing, or not unique thing, I guess is the point of kind of everything, but coming together to be like a part of one note or Mm -hmm. one chord, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like with Mm -hmm. your own voice and like where you put your voice. Yeah. And then, yeah, just because music is about your relationship to stuff, to other things that are happening. Absolutely. And so it was like, those are my first experiences with music. And then because of that, yeah, music is definitely like where I go to um, make sense of like everything ever like that I come across. Like when I'm at my most confused or like most frantic or whatever, I definitely just have to listen to something. Like it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's my whole, it's like everything. Yeah, man. Me too. When you were hearing the jazz, looking at the Persian rug and, you know, those feelings and smells and visuals. 
because for me, jazz, like, you know, I grew up on jazz too. The young, I, jazz household, you know, it was always just around me. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, my own feelings about rugs and jazz and definitely hit a resonant chord in me. But I was just thinking, because you talk about a Persian rug, it's these really beautiful ancient kind of patterns, you know, that they used. Do you think, did the music like intertwine with that, like with the patterns and things coming together to form like complicated elements? With the whole thing, it was like who was around at the time, like my pops and like my uncles and shit and just the environment. Yeah. And then also because I guess these are my first memories, too, it was also like probably the safest that I've been like in my, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So I Mm -hmm. I associate that with a just like a safe, like insulated, warm place. Yeah. Happy place. Yeah. How old were you when you had the memories? Do you know? I mean, we moved from Chicago when I was probably like three. So it Mm. has to be in the first couple. Toddler style. Because I remember the the rug, I remember because I would be crawling. I was like crawling on it. Wow. I wasn't walking it. (laughs) Wow. And then, so you're three and you came to LA. Mm -hmm. So you initially have these feelings of music, you know, safety and. I can only imagine, like, like for me when I was little, it felt like anything was possible. Like when I first heard, a hundred. My my stepdad's a jazz musician, right? So they start playing. These dudes would come over and they start playing in the living room, playing bebop. And I remember just rolling around on the floor, like my mind blown. Like these guys were magic to me, like literally, hundred mm-hmm, percent. You know, they could have made themselves invisible or started flying through the air and it wouldn't have been more mind blowing. You know what I mean? It was a feeling of like the limitless possibilities of humanity, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like a hundred percent having that, but then also just being like cultured by it. It was mm-hmm. almost a like an entitlement to that space just being once that stopped being mind blowing and started being the place where you're like, this is where I'm living. You know what I mean? Like this is this is what it is. Identity. Yeah, identity for sure. And then also South Africa too. That one of like that South African's whole thing is is music and dance, you know what I mean? Like arts and culture. Mm-hmm. And and you have South African heritage? Yeah. My pops is uh, South African. Okay. So, so much of that music, like, that I would be around there. That's what I'm saying. You you would be in, like, the park and, at, like, a family thing or whatever, and the, the elder, like, the elder women of the family might just bust into, like, full acapella, like, three-piece, like, the most beautiful song. You, you know what I mean? Just right. because just y'all outside. Music is, like, such a big part of that. So I was always like, yeah, I'm I'm watching my son do it now. This dude can't talk, but he's his time <laughs> is really good, and he like he's going for it. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, he's really he understands. Like his mom had him. He was holding his mom's mic the other day. He was like going for like a minute. Like yeah, <laughs> he was like Baba B B B. Yeah, B. <laughs> Boo, boo, boo. I was like, yes, sir. Yeah. So cool. And I feel like it's like, as a parent, and, you know, as a parent, I guess, you know, you're the primary educator of your kid. I feel like our greatest job is to keep them in touch with that spirit and not distract them with a bunch of petty bullshit that gets them away from being in touch with that most magical essence of their self. Hell yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, on his last tour I was on, he, uh, he came to one of the shows. He was side stage. It was like his first time yeah. seeing the, the thing happen. Yeah. And they said, everyone, they said, he was like, they said they like watched him process, like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I know that dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, this is, oh, so this is your job. Like, this yeah. is, yeah. I brought him out on stage, just like off to the side a little bit, and he was just like completely frozen. He was like, "Yo, yeah." <laughs> but I'm also wary of like if he's anything like me, then there there will be I can count on a period of a uh, rebellion. Mm, can be dangerous. So I don't want to be like Mr. Music Man. Like you gotta music. It's this is it. 
And then had this dude, when he was like 14, 15, be like, oh, that's crazy because I, I fuck with accounting. Like, <laughs> yeah. fuck, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Totally get it. But I guess, you know, like ideally you want your kid, and I'm sure he, like I see it now, he loves music. I hope that, like you said, he stays attached to that to that spirit there. And even whether it's music or not, as long as it's just a, a love like that, if, you know what I mean? Just like, yeah. And then just whatever is really expanding and evolving him. Yeah, well, I think it's like, like you were talking about before, about when you were a toddler and you're hearing jazz and you're hearing African music and it's a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this, it's a place where you're safe and a feeling of like, this is the place to be. This is the place of sanity and love and togetherness mm-hmm. and connectedness, you know, to your spirit. And that's kind of, you know, to give give your kids that. And then what they do with it is up to them. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Earl talks about starting to record music at 13 out of boredom during a visit to South Africa to see his dad. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So when you had that feeling of like you're talking about like you know the south african music that cultural music that when you're with your people in the park and people are singing and it's just like what families do when they're together they bust into song because it's a nice thing to do that feeling of community and music when you started getting into music and thinking about like doing it with other people like i don't know at what time you know in your life you decided you wanted to rap, or if there were other music things that you pursued before that, but was that feeling of community and interacting with other people musically, do you feel like that came more easily because if you already had that sense of community around music? Because some people, it's like, I feel like music, oh, it's just a thing to do to be famous or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. With me, it was like, I was just always trying to get good at it from when I was like first started trying to rap i would be with my pops and i would go see him in south africa and he would have to go do work shit and i would just be in his office and my brother he would stay with us he had all these cds so i would just be in there bored about to lose my damn mind and so i was like i just started figuring out how to write a 16 yeah just from there just kept trying to get good at that shit was that your first, the first time, like when you decided that you wanted to get good at rapping, was there anything before that? Like, did you want to play the clarinet or anything? Was there ever, were there other musical experiences? Elementary school, they had me playing the saxophone. They had saxophone dreams for me, mm-hmm. but it was not for me. Mm. I was all right at it, but it was just like, I don't want to play the damn saxophone, man. I didn't want to play the sax. I wanted to like play piano or something. Mm. I feel like pianos is so much cooler than sax. I don't know. Because <laughs> there's just like a, this is why you're not in the airport and there's a fucking p- a saxophone right there. You know what I mean? There's not a fucking. I know, but. <laughs> you don't just walk around in public and there's just saxophones laying around. You get, I feel like it's cool <laughs> when you walk into some shit and then there's just a little keyboard. You're like, oh, yeah, look at this. And you just bust out. Just bust out and then you move on. You get up and move. You don't need to, like, strap up. You can, like... Yeah. I just... 
this this is just an extension of me still being oh what's it called me still being rebellious yeah it was how you felt at the time for sure yeah you're like don't tell me what to do <laughs> like he my uncle wrote a poem about me like right when i was like being born that mm. was like he's gonna go crazy with that axe that was like a, y'all done fucked up now y'all ready to get ready the boy's coming he's coming with that axe it's over. Like we it was got like the he, had, he had written your, written your destiny and everyone was believing in it before you, yeah. you got to decide. <laughs> yeah. And I'm still, you know, funnily enough or naively enough, I still feel like I did my thing. It just wasn't through the damn saxophone, man. But I feel like it's like everything is a learning, you know, especially with music, like even like blowing on a saxophone and just having that one moment of, there must have been one moment where you were like, let me just try to make a beautiful sound right now in this moment. There must have been. Oh, for sure. I was into it, but then I I was just like, it's like an alto sax. It's like kind of heavy. Mm. It's like, like, how can I get my damn hands yeah, yeah. down? Here? Trying to play chords and shit. It's like, but there's a lot to it. You got to read and you got to get it in tune. And there's, you know. Yeah, that's what it was. That. I was lazy. Yo, the read? <laughs> Come on, bro. <laughs> My I had crusty <laughs> ass read. I'm leaving the read in the thing forever. Like my mom's <laughs> nasty read chipped on the mad gross. You gotta like really wet this thing down. Yeah. And your mom's wanting you to be, you know, wanting to be Charlie Parker. <laughs> mad pieces, you gotta clean it. I'm just lazy. Like oh, I know. This. No, me too, man. Look, I I wanted to be a jazz trumpet player when I was a kid. Like I wanted to be Dizzy Gillespie when I grew up. And I still was too rebellious. If, if someone told me to practice, and my parents, you have to practice now or a day, I was just like, fuck you. No. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I'm going out to play basketball or smoke weed with my friends. Like, I'm just not going to do it. But anyways, tracking your musical education. So you're playing the saxophone. You've been hearing jazz and African music, and I'm sure all the other like popular culture music that comes your way as you're growing up in L.A. In... Uh, um, is this like in the 80s, late 80s? Nah, nah, this is this is uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Late 90s, holy fuck, okay. You're young. Yeah, I went from that in my house to like Radio Disney, like in the car, mm. you know what I mean? You'd be in the mm-hmm. car, like throw that, you like five, like throw that shit on, mm. throw that bullshit on right now. Like throw <laughs> the worst song ever on right now. I don't know, I was just off all that shit. Yeah. Also, then you got, like, post-Tupac, like, West Coast hip-hop things going on. Yeah. Who were the artists of that post-Tupac, West Coast hip-hop that you liked? What's his name that was on the... Two, 2001 fucked me up. I wasn't even in L.A. when I heard it. I was mm-hmm. I was in South Africa when I heard uh, Chronic 2001. That shit had me fucked mm-hmm. up. I was like, oh, my God. Like, what the fuck? Also, like, uh, I feel like skateboarding and music were like wrapped up in each other but i didn't get to get fully in to skating until i was older and like outside on my own yeah but i definitely distinctly remember like being getting ready to go into uh maybe like kindergarten or first grade and the kids were like the older kids were all in a bungalow playing tony hawk pro skater and it was the first time that I heard, like, fucking Blink or some shit. You know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. even know who it was. It was, like, Yellow mm-hmm. Card or some, like, weird band. But it was mm-hmm. my first time hearing music like that. And then also at the same time, I'm seeing that it's associated with this fucking magic that I've never seen before either. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is. Yeah. Do you consciously remember, like, when you heard The Chronic, 2001? And I remember, like, when that record was coming out, like waiting the days till the exact second when I could run out and get it because I was so excited about it. Did you analyze it when you heard the music? Was it just something like, oh, this is great? Or were you like, oh, it's great because, because this guy, you know, syncopates his, his rhythms in a certain way or tries to put a certain amount of syllables in one bar or, you know, eight or 16 or 32? Nah, I was just like, I was just like, this is the hardest shit ever. Right. I was just like, this is crazy. This yeah. is nuts. I remember I was almost like scared too because mm. of the skits and shit. Yeah. There was noises that I was like, bro, what is this? Like what? 
kind of movie is like this is you know what I mean from the first yeah. skit with the Lola like the mm-hmm. you just hear the hydraulics going off on the thing I'm like what the fuck yeah when you listened was it just like oh when it came on you listened or was listening like a sacred time for you like I'm gonna go and listen now I'm not gonna do something else I'm either putting on headphones or my speaker whatever it is I'm gonna be alone and sit and listen I mean, I had my sacred listening, but then with music like that, that was like way more explicit. Yeah. That it was harder for me to get my hands on because my mm-hmm. mom was like, nigga, that shit the fuck out of here, man. So I would have to be with like an older cousin or, or whoever, like. Who had it. The, the, which made it super sacred. Because yeah. I would be with them like, oh, yes. like Yeah. I, I remember hearing once about, like, it was a long time ago, like, 80s. And Chili Peppers, we went to Europe and we played with this Russian band. And at the time, you know, they had had the, the communist Russia, like they didn't, they couldn't leave. Yeah. And it was just after Glasnost and they started letting, you know, they loosened up. And we played with this Russian band and they were talking about how they would get like a cassette of rock music, like the Beatles or something or Led Zeppelin or whatever it was, like in the 70s. And it was illegal to hear it. Like it was, he talked about like your mom wouldn't let you hear something because it had curse words in it and stuff. This was illegal by the government. Mm-hmm. And so they'd have a cassette and you know what I mean? They'd get their little time where they could get this, pass it around to each other and share it till it ran out, you know, and you'd get it and you'd listen to it quietly in a closet. Like, oh fuck, listen to this. You know what I mean? They're like, someone's like, what you listen to? You're like, oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. You're like, let me hear it, you know? That shit makes it so sacred. Yeah. But then it, it's funny as shit because then, then it makes that sacred, which is, which is funny as hell. Yeah. And the, the fact that music could be so dangerous, why someone would want to keep it from you, you know? For sure. I mean, that shit was vulgar as hell, yeah, man. Vulgar that music as hell. was nasty as hell. Yeah. No, I never know whether to let my kids listen to shit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you're like nine, and it's just like death and like brutal sex and murder and like and, oral sex. That's what I'm saying. Just yeah. like crazy graphic sex shit. Like yeah, like, oh. <laughs> yeah. But you wanted to hear it, right? <laughs> Hella bad. And, and when you look back, like if you're totally honest, and you look back to you hearing the most explicit stuff, was it? Do you think it hurt you in any way? Was it detrimental to your growing up and becoming who you are? We're just, you know, growing, becoming a man. I can't lie, bro. 100%, dude. Like, as such a, <laughs> as such like a sponge, like, ass kid. There, I remember there were moments, bro, where I would be listening to, like, the craziest shit. And my mom would be like, like, for instance, it, it was one time I, I just broke up with my little girlfriend. I might have been, like, 11 or 12 or something. Whatever you want to call it, breakup. Whatever you want to call it, relationship. Well, yeah, eleven. I don't know, whatever. But we we was going through it, and so then I'm at the crib. I'm listening to uh to Money on My Mind by by Wayne and the hook. He's like, get money. He's doing the Biggie shit. He's doing the get money, fuck bitches, get money. And my mom, she like looked like through the room, like seeing. I was like fucking really into it. She was like. She was like, don't be listening to that while you mad at that little girl. I was like, man, watch out, man. And I remember moments like that where, like, I guess my, like, gender and, like, sex stuff is very easily trackable from the moments that I'm getting influenced when I'm a little kid mm-hmm. to when three years later, OF is happening. Mm. And we're doing the more ramped up version of all of that shit, all yeah. of the most, like, vulgar, like, explicit shit that you could see my trajectory straight like that. But luckily, I there was some shit to, like, counterbalance it, you know? Like, water for chocolate and shit like that. Yeah. Which I didn't even know. I mean, I knew, obviously, in the years later that it was a Dilla album. But that was, like, my first, like, experience with, like, that sound and that shit really 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 fucked me up when i was like uh like 12 because i I just found that cd in my mom's office yeah i was like let me get that yeah i'm always sort of torn between like and you know kids educating themselves in music and my kids like hearing really profane vulgar stuff and i'm like is it bad for them or is it just art 
And it's part of the human experience. Like, uh-huh. and like you're saying, well, no, it wasn't good for me to hear it when I was really young because it, you know, it could be a perspective that could be like, you know, not sensitive to me breaking up with my little 12 year old girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like, and my mom having a good point. Yeah. Or, or me finding refuge and like get money. Fuck these bitches, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like the lowest common denominator of what you could do with a situation like that. You know, and it's like I'm 12. Like you're not yeah. gonna get money, man. You're not. Yeah. To, <laughs> yeah. You're not getting money, bro. He's, yeah. You have to go fucking put three pairs of basketball shorts on and try and make your friends laugh. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. You know, I. It's funny because I was, I was talking to this about recently. I think it was Mel, my wife, and we were talking about. Um, she was talking about Odd Future and, and uh, how in the beginning it was like, you know, it was like shocking and profane and wild and not giving a fuck about any kind of rule or anything, you know? And we both had a similar conclusion that, yeah, it was all those things, but never for a second did I feel anything but love. Like, that's my feeling. Yeah. Like, I was just like hearing you guys, and I was like, wow, these kids are really, it's beautiful. Like, I'm just feeling this exuberance and love of life and art and being together with your friends, like doing this thing. Like, it was for sure steeped in, we, we got lucky and luckier than uh, some, some of what I feel like came after us that just mm-hmm. leaned more towards into like real shock or whatever, or just yeah. pure shock. Cause it definitely was steeped in, and art, and that was that was kind of what brought niggas together, because it was like from its inception, from Tyler's inception. Because I I came in like a little bit later. This thing had already been like formed. It was like jazz, you know what I mean? It's just like jazz, it's like Pharrell, yeah, Photoshop. Like I'm doing weird, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. weird collages and shit, and all this, this kind of just like stuff that was different from what was going on with a lot of our peers in LA who was just like, you look left and right and everyone was just making like party music and shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like well, the, the feeling like to me, it feels, you know, and I'm older, I'm way older, but it's like uh, inviting. <laughs> You're like, this is mm-hmm. what we've got. We're making this art. And it felt like, yes, it's us. And, our community and what we're doing and our inside whatever jokes or or our ideas of what's beautiful but it it just i don't know it just felt so wide open like tapping a universal vein that was beyond just like one insular thing you know and that's exciting to me like for sure and it was like moving it was moving like that on our little high school circuit too like it was like so many people were like from our future at some point you know what i mean like so many kids was like yeah and like actually though like people that was like oh yeah this is boom boom and it and it was it was wide open like how you said because even the kids that wasn't doing music and shit it was like take photos skate look at every do this do that it's like all under like that umbrella After the final break, Earl talks about the way he's been influenced by Jay Dilla's book, Dilla Time, and about finding the physicality in his performing style. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I, I feel like I, I skipped a step. You're in South Africa sitting in your dad's office while he's off doing work stuff. You're like wa- watching the fucking paint peel. Yeah. And listening to some hip hop, listening to some other music that comes along, thinking, oh, how can I write a verse? Listening to bad music, man. Bad Yo, music. Yo, shout outs to this. I, it was like 2000. There was dark ages, bro, for rap music. Mm-hmm. And I came up learning how to rap in the dark ages, man. T-Pain had come out, and I am by no means calling him the the thing of the dark age. I think he opened up the door for, like, what was to come, mm. like, on some Sonic, like, for just the auto-tune, like, thing. Mm-hmm. And then he had the Vanguard fucked up. No one knew what to do. Everyone was like, oh, my God, hip-hop is fucking dead. So then everyone's music, like, remember Hove did Death of Auto-Tune? This nigga Nas dropped an album called Hip Hop is Dead. And I'm, like, not to, like, shit on, you know, their experience, because these is niggas that's been there from the inception of it. The niggas is rapping at rec centers and shit. And you've seen every step that it's taken before it gets to this point that we are in, like, 2006. But then I feel like, what got injected was like this jadedness that immediately just made everything so dusty. Like, mm. so I'm in there listening to dusty music, man. I, I wasn't even mad at it then. I didn't even realize it was dusty then. It was just like the the popular rap music of the time. It seems like that period you're talking about, I remember just like, okay, it's been a while since I've heard something. I might not be researching as you know astutely as I could. But something by, where I've heard something like, oh my gosh, that's fucking new. This is something that is going to affect the culture, that is going to uplift people because it's breaking ground, you know? And when something like that happens in music, it lasts forever. So you started, well, how old were you when you were in South Africa and you started putting together verses? I think I was like 12. Mm-hmm. And what happened next? Then I think, then I, think I went to high school. Mm. And then that's when I started making music with uh, two of my friends from up there who were were more well-versed in the actual making of music, you know what I mean? Like, they were already, like, making beats and, like, recording themselves and making songs mm-hmm. and shit. Like, I remember the first time I asked for a beat or whatever, I thought you ordered them, like, parchment paper or something you know what i mean i'm like yeah let me get like five minutes of that you know what i mean i thought yeah. you ordered it like oh like yeah i'll take five minutes of that like uh, <laughs> oh, the two kick drums with a side of hi-hat please yeah i'll take yeah thanks yeah and so, so that's when and that's when you first recorded yourself and heard yourself come back at you this is all like roughly the same time i think even before that I was at the Boys and Girls Club during the summer, like one of those summers, like 13 or 14. And that was the first time that I that I heard myself, like recorded myself, heard it come back. What was that like? I loved that shit. I was like, oh, yeah, it's up. We on. We, <laughs> nice. It's lit. Like we, we made it. We, we out of here. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I always feel like, like to this day, when... I write something either by myself or with my bandmates or with whoever I'm playing music with and record it and hear it back. It's like, oh my God, especially if it's good. 
<laughs> you know. I feel you. I feel you. I'm still not over it. Every single time, I feel you. Like, yeah, I don't think you, it's like, oh my God, that did not exist 10 minutes ago. And now I'm hearing it and it's a thing. And it's a tangible thing that was invisible and floating around in the air. And now through some like infinite source of magic, it exists as something that can be, exists forever. 100%. I'm definitely still not over it. Yeah, I hope I never get over it. I have the same reaction every time. Yeah. I just want to hear that shit a whole lot. Yeah. I'm like, wow. I'm like really self-conscious about uh, not losing the the spirit of something. Mm. So I really try hard not to like overcook a lot of shit. Yeah, in that moment of like improvisation when you're finding something and it's something that, you know, does that thing to your body or to your heart, whatever it is, like... You can't ever, I guess I was talking about before, like with every sound, like does it serve that spirit? Does it serve the thing that's really mm-hmm. beautiful? And I think, you know, that's part of education is understanding how to keep that, you know? Because you know, like the things that are going to last are going to be the things that are the real spirit. You can feel it intuitively every time. Like there's one that I, I did recently, like we were rehearsing and then my man's put this beat on and I just like figured something out to it, and then we recorded it on voice memo. And I would perform the song a little bit when we went on the tour. Mm-hmm. I come home, I recorded it the other day, like properly at the studio and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, like if I ever do put it out, it's gonna end up being the voice memo because I mm-hmm. like back to back them listen to them the other day, and it's just like. It is such a palpable difference in feeling like between the two, even though the vocal tone is not that much different, the thing, but you can just feel it's like physically more gripping the the shitty the shittily recorded one, yeah, yeah, I mean, so often, I think it's things that you cannot control in the quality of music, like i th- you know I think there's spirits that decide to visit and decide not to visit. Um, I think there's, you know, a moment in time that you can't, <laughs> you just can't recreate, like, whatever feelings you might have had that you're not even aware of, like, what under underlying fears or hopes or joys that you might not even know, you know what I mean? That you're always right. looking to the art to be a vehicle for. I agree 100%, especially the example. I it's like a guy that's about to go on tour versus a dude that's been battered down by tour. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. very different st- stances on life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I saw you play recently. You played with Kamasi Washington at the Bowl, and it was, it was great, man. I was there with Andre, and we were both just like rocking out so hard to your set. Man, thank you. That shit was crazy. I just like, I was so impressed at your ability to, to flow without such a strict meter, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm. you're you're rapping over music that, you know, most rap music that you hear is a very like a two and a four, claps on two and four and kick drums on yeah. the one, you know, all of that. And it's so inspiring. That sort of freedom is really uplifting to hear. So thank you. Thank you, man. I've been reading the, um, the Dilatine book, mm. which helped like put a lot of language yeah. towards a lot of the things that, that people have been trying to figure out mm. with certain stuff with time. Yeah. And like the meter shit you were talking about. Yeah, I read it too. The best way I, I saw him put it was like, that's just how he like moves his head. Mm. Like that's what his body did, so he followed his body. A hundred percent. I read that Dilla Time book too, and um, it was so inspiring. I mean, for one, you know, I just love Dilla. But the way that he was able to create like such a flexible feeling with time, with machines, especially when he was doing it, were pretty rigid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There weren't a lot of options in terms of the way that you could move the beat around like you can now. Right. Yeah, because I've grown up with it where you can move it. Like yeah. you can just do it. If you, if you yeah. want it to do, the, the, you can just, all right, for sure, put that there. Yeah, just slide it around. Yeah, that shit is an incredible painstaking work of like, scrolling through this 
this machine is like weird interface and then like doing all this shit and making it yeah. take all this time and shit. Yeah, I guess in a way though, it's like the slower things like, you know, I've been making records for nearly 40 years now and it used to be so much slower, you know, because I mean, we still only record to tape. Like we play live in a room to a tape mm-hmm. and master from the tape, you know, and it's slower because you always like you do a take. Oh, I'll try that again. You rewind the tape. You wait for it. You hear the music go backwards, you know, go again. And, and it's like slower. You know, everything you have to think about each step for longer. But in a way, it's kind of freeing because it gives you your mind slows down a little bit and the process can become more hypnotic. I don't you know, it's all relative, I guess, you know, but no, it 100 percent is. And you you. I don't know. I feel like you can feel what goes in to something. Absolutely. Like the the amount of work that goes in. Mm-hmm. And the amount of thought, yeah, the amount of thoughtfulness to every little sound, you know? Like, is it, or is it just fun right now, but is this really a thing that uplifts this piece of music, or is it just clever, mm. or, you know what I mean? Because I don't, I don't give a fuck about clever. <laughs> like, we, that's funny. I I care, I definitely care about a good, I care about a good chuckle. I feel yeah. like that's the difference with, <laughs> with like rapping though. Like you have to, it's a, it's kind of more gimmicky in that sense. I'm saying in the way that a magician is gimmicky. Like I got to yeah. do a thing like with the cards and be like, whoa, is this your, <laughs> yeah, a trick. Is this your card? Yeah. Yeah, you got to do a trick. Yeah, no, I think it's like that sort of, I don't know what the right word is for, like humor or quirkiness or being unexpected, like in contrast to what is predictable, is, um, you know, oftentimes like way undervalued in music. Yeah, I mean, 100%, because they, be, they can be poignant and sad, but still spoken in a way that reflects care and like attention to detail, you know, what I'm like mm-hmm. in that same way that that humor will or whatever so it still ends up being like sticking you in the chest a certain way totally whether it's like to laugh or to cry you know what i mean that's some like it makes you exhale yeah it makes you feel you know whatever Mm -hmm. from uh like a this infinite you know quantity and type of feelings that humans can have I, i really when you were talking about how you know like the dilla beats in that book dilla time talk about how the beat was born like organically of the way he moved his head. And so just how he felt music, you know, and I relate to mm-hmm. that so much, like as, as someone who doesn't work with programming or stuff, who plays live, like, but for me, it's always been like, the groove has always been, how does my body move? Like, like if I want to play back behind the beat, I, my body literally goes back and I lean back. Mm-hmm. Like the head of beat, I lean forward and I, you know what I mean? I start shaking and shit, you mm-hmm. know? Or right in the middle, like boom, like, a, like, a, like, a, like I'm rooted right here, I'm not moving. You know what I mean? I'm right in the center. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's everything still for me, like the way that I move is, you know, tells me, <laughs> or I tell it, you know what I mean? Like I can force my body to do stuff too that's gonna change the way the note falls on the rhythm. Mm-hmm, 100%. I I feel like the the book touches on it a little bit, but like the notion that things are supposed to be so rigid is definitely a product of like uh like European like musicality. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like this shit is like there's it's here, it's it yeah. has to be here, and then when you deviate from that, that's supposed to you're like oh no, this is supposed to stop. When that's not even how you uh that's not even how you walk. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this because this is something I ask everybody. And from your experience, and, you know, you continue to grow and to be ready to grow, you know, you're, you have an open heart and an open mind. And I guess my question to you is, for a young kid who wants to be a musician or a rapper, a young kid that's starting out and really loves music and, and wants to make a life of it, what advice you might have for them? I guess the answer is in the question. I guess you got to really make it your life if you want to make it your life. I feel like that's the mistake that a lot of people make is that they, the, the the outcome they want is based off of like what you put in. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's definitely always a labor of love. The The love is going to make what would be 
what would feel like labor, not labor. Whether it's research, the time you put into your own thing, rehearsing, practicing. Because that's why we didn't end up playing fucking horns. Because it wasn't that, you know what I mean? It wasn't, the love is the thing that'll make you go crazy about something. And the good kind of crazy that yields some sort of uh, like mastery over whatever you're trying to figure out. Yeah, so cool. I always feel like it's like the uh, the process, like being lost in making something because you love it, as opposed to oh, what what's gonna what is the end gonna be and what am I gonna get out of it and what is you know am I gonna <laughs> you know is everyone gonna like me and think I'm cool or, or am I gonna get money right. whatever it is like. That you can't control that shit anyways. I mean, maybe you can. I don't know how. No. As opposed to just doing the thing correct, how it needs to be done. Because it's your life. Yeah. That attentiveness, the thoughtfulness that comes from loving the moment of doing it. 100%, bro. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate you. Right. Thank you, Flea. I hope to hang out in person one of these days. Yes, bro. I gotta pull it. I gotta see what's up with the school, man. Yeah, you got to check it out. I'm I'm starting a new one too, man. I mean, this one's been going for 20 years um, in Silver Lake, and I'm um, starting one in Watts. And I'm really excited about just getting it together. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, man. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Earl Sweatshirt. Thank you so much for listening to This Little Light, a podcast about music education that exists to serve the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music, a nonprofit music school based in Los Angeles, California. This Little Light is a presentation of Cadence 13, executive produced by Flea, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and parallel partners Ken Cow, Nicholas Gonda, and me, Jocelyn Florence. The show's lead producer is Julia Smith, with engineering by Ryan Martz. Our show's original theme music is composed by Flea himself, Special thanks to Chris LaSalle, Alex Barron, Ian Turner, and Jennifer Ray and her entire team at the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. Listen and follow This Little Light, a presentation of Cadence 13, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.